The Start On Demand. On demand. I got a nice surprise this morning as I returned from vacation, courtesy of a happy mistake from Greg. With phase three underway and many of us still working from home, today we're asking the question, would you take a pay cut to permanently work from home? Donald Trump made some interesting comments about COVID-19 testing being a double-edged sword. So we'll speak to epidemiologist Cynthia Carr on that. And TikTok teens trumped Trump's Tulsa rally. And are you noticing some bad driving behaviors that have developed during the pandemic? Because I sure have. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who's back tomorrow. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Monday, June 22nd podcast for The Start. Good morning, Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is back tomorrow. I'm back from vacation Good to be back. The batteries are recharged. I didn't realize how much I needed a break until I actually unplugged. But a very special treat today because someone forgot he didn't have to come in. And Greg Mackling. I guess I need to turn on my microphone. That helps. (laughs) I've never worked in this room before. So this is a first time working in the news booth. I'm sequestered behind one, two, three panes of glass and a giant vault-like door. So if I'm carrying anything, you guys are not getting it. I got halfway here and realized, oh, yeah, Brett's back today. I don't need to go to work. But I wasn't going back home. Just wasn't happening. So... Here I am. Well, it's a it's a huge pleasure to have somebody here. I mean, it's been just me and Forte for three months. Jeff Braun's working from home. Kelly Moore is at home. Jeff Courier is at home. Hal is at home. Uh, so there's never anybody here in the morning until 10 o'clock, usually when TFJ rolls in, Tristan Field-Jones. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you're. I'm still in the studio. Jeff Forte is in master control, and you're in the news booth. Our FM morning teams have been doing this for the entire pandemic. They're mm-hmm. all working in the building, just out of separate studios. Right. So, like, I've been long saying, why are we not doing this as well? Uh, but uh, obviously, there are issues, you know, potential complications uh, on your end. Like, what? You've got kids. That's right. The boys are old enough. They're are they old enough to be alone? Oh yes. Okay. Yeah, they're old enough to be alone. But do you want them to be alone? <laughs> <laughs> that is the question. And if left to their own devices, I don't know what they'd get done over yeah. the course of a morning. Yesterday, I didn't wake them up. They got up at noon yesterday. So that's I mean, you, I. We were talking, Jeff Courier asked, when did you realize you were becoming your father? Yeah. It was part of our conversation leading up to Father's Day. Yeah. Yeah, I can remember my dad said, you're sleeping half the day away. You got to get up. Yeah. Well, dad, I went to bed at two in the morning. I work, you know, in a different, well, you know, early, all the cliches, early bird gets the worm. Yeah, now I'm saying the same things to my kids. <laughs> Until they get jobs where they're working until midnight or two o'clock in the morning, sleeping until noon is really not something they ought to be doing. Okay, but just for a moment, just remember when you were younger, like even now, I used to be able to sleep until two, three in the afternoon, even like into my 20s. Now mm-hmm. I struggle with it uh, just because I'm getting old and like I, I go, <laughs> like on, uh, I can't remember which day it was last week, but I said, I'm going to bed and I'm not setting an alarm and I'm hopefully going to sleep until 10. Right. And then I woke up think, feeling refreshed. I thought, I, was it, I bet you it's noon. It was 8.30. Uh, now that granted, that's because Monday to Friday, we wake up before 3 a.m. and I get tired by 10 o'clock at night. And even on the weekend, when I try to sleep, I have a hard time sleeping beyond 8.30, beyond 9, beyond 10 o'clock. But I remember what it was like to be a teenager. I could sleep and sleep and sleep. So it's not, they're not necessarily wasting the day. They're just getting the sleep they need. Yeah, well, you know, I know you're almost <laughs> six foot five. So you, you grow when you sleep. And my boys are on the way to being, you know, six three, six four. So the Twin Towers. I get that 100%, but yeah, they're, it doesn't sit well with me when they <laughs> when they sleep that late. Yeah. So yeah, for me to be here all the time and to leave them, that yeah, that's not happening. Normally they're at camps all summer. We like to keep them busy. You've got to keep busy. Otherwise your oh. your, your brain turns to mush, you I, know? You know, and I, I never even thought about that. Like, So you've had to keep them occupied 
during this weird school situation, but school uh, would have been up almost, like, in, I guess, in the next week or so. And, uh, yeah, so what would the boys normally do? You said camps. Like, do they do camps all summer long? Pretty much all summer long. Between my holidays and Jackie hol- Jackie's holidays, that's three weeks because Jackie take a week with them. I take a week with them and then we try and do a week as a family. So that's three. And then they've got a camp that they've been going to forever. And so that's three weeks. So there's six of the eight weeks and then they'll spend time either with their grandma or do something else with their cousins or hang out, that sort of thing. Maybe go to the lake or go to another camp or they've got a curling camp that they go to. So yeah, there's not a lot of sitting around and just watching summer fly by. So Okay. Well... Hopefully, maybe some camps will be, they'll start allowing some of that stuff maybe as the summer goes on. Yeah, most of them are full already. That's the problem. Oh, really? Yeah, because they've re- had to reduce their numbers and and either uh, restart registration. And if you weren't in on it on the first couple of days, you were missing out. So uh, uh, what are you going to do? That's uh, It's the reality, and I'm not the only one in that boat. Uh, I know there are a lot of people who can relate to what we're going through right now. So we'll yeah. just, we'll just, we'll get through it together. Life is complicated. And as we sometimes say, kids ruin everything. Yeah, that they do. <laughs> we don't actually mean that, by the way. It's just something fun. <laughs> no. We like to say. Yes, we, we don't mean it. Not at all. No. I know. I just have to point this out because I know we have a lot of golfers in our audience. I had a spectacular week off in terms of my golf game. I don't know what happened, but on Tuesday, I went out to Kingswood. And like I, I struggle to break 100, and most golfers, I don't know what the stat is, but I, there's some stat like it's over 80 or 90 percent of golfers, isn't it, that never break 100? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if, to break 100 is a good day for me. But I went out on Tuesday and I added up my score, and I had to, I actually had to pull up my uh, the calculator on my phone to see what it was, and it, I shot an 86, and I rarely break 100, never mind 90. Nice. And then I followed that up on Friday, went back out to Kingswood and LaSalle and, and shot an 84. So I had career back-to-back rounds. I couldn't quite do it again on Saturday because I went out I went out Friday night. And let's just say Saturday morning, I wasn't quite feeling all that great. <laughs> so, But I still slogged my way through to a 94. So I had an awesome week off. So I am back, happy, raring to go. And uh, I can't believe you're talking about it out loud because I would never would. That you know, That's my superstitious side. So it's actually not as rare as I thought to break 100. It's 55% of golfers will break 100. And then, it, but it's less than two percent, or about two percent, that ever break eighty. Okay. So that's a huge. And then, what is it for ninety here? According twenty six percent. So maybe it's ninety. Oh, okay. was the number that I was thinking about. So well, uh, twenty six. That's a pretty elite. Company you're in, Mr. McGarry. Yeah, well, oh, I'll, elite. I'll take that. I was just happy to describe myself as officially a mediocre golfer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say 26%, maybe not elite, but yeah. uh, certainly better than average. <laughs> better than better than average. I'll take that. Isn't that what they said for Tiger? Better than most. That's right. I'm not better than most. Mm. I, it was, we'll just call it a happy week. It was a bit lucky. Mackling and McGarry McNabb is back tomorrow. Greg's actually here in the building. He's working out of the news booth. He's working out of, at home for the last three months, as has Loren. But Greg forgot he didn't have to come in today. He was in studio last week while I was away. So, Greg, I am super happy to be able to look at you. Even though you're in another room, I can see ya. So... But you got to turn on your mic. Yeah. <laughs> I forget to do that at home sometimes, too. I am literally working in the dark over here, though, by the glow of the monitor of the computer. I, I kind of like this. This is great. Yeah, that's right. You got sort some, of romantic in here. Some mood lighting. Yeah, the fluorescent lights in that news booth. It's, it's like you're under an interrogation lamp. Right? I would say that's exactly what it feels like. <laughs> I can't work under these conditions. <laughs> turn off the light. Well, then now, now that you've got the lights out, it, it's, you've kind of replicated a sort of Work, comfortable working from home situation. That's we're gonna, true. We're going to talk about that uh, in a moment here, but in our next segment, we want to know what kind of driving behaviors are you seeing on the roads now that traffic loads are increasing? Because I, in particular on the south perimeter, the speed limit there seems to be a suggestion that 
many drivers are clearly ignoring, and it is just so frustrating, especially with all the safety concerns that prompted the reduction in that speed. So we'll have that chat in our next segment. You can start texting us those now at 204-780-6868. But I'm looking on the 680CJOB's Facebook page uh, last night. At 9.30 when I should have been in bed. You should have been fast asleep by then, young man. Didn't go to bed till 10.30 because I'm dumb. But uh, I I had fallen asleep on the couch from about 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. So, of course. But (laughs) the, the question being asked was, would you take a pay cut to permanently work from home. And it has to do with this story that Global News published yesterday at globalnews.ca. Experts say Canadians permanently working from home should expect salary changes. And uh, we, it's, a, it's a lengthy story. We won't get into all of the specifics, but uh, just a synopsis here from Mark Zuckerberg hosting a town hall in late May with Facebook's 48,000 employees. Some were tuning in from new cities they had scrambled to move to as the pandemic hit, and Zuckerberg had a clear message for them. If you plan to stay, expect a change to your pay. Quote, that means if you live in a location where the cost of living is dramatically lower or the cost of labor is lower, then salaries do tend to be somewhat lower in those places. He said this on a video conference where he announced more employees would be allowed to work remotely permanently. And he gave Canadian and American workers until January 1st to inform the company about their location so it can properly complete taxes and accounting and use virtual private network checks to confirm staff are where they claim. And again, if you want to read the full story, it's at globalnews.ca. We've linked it to our 680CJOB Instagram. But Greg, what was your reaction when you had a look at this? I'm not sure how to feel about this, but the one thing that I didn't notice and now three times through this article is Mark Zuckerberg or any other CEO or executive acknowledging the amount of money, the potential millions of dollars that these corporations could be saving on office space if more and more people are working from home. I don't understand why you would want to penalize someone for making a a quality lifestyle change. If you've decided you're going to move from Vancouver to Winnipeg, as an example, because you work at Facebook or some other technology company or any other company for that matter, who now allow you to work from home, why shouldn't you reap the benefit of that salary uh, going further based on working from Winnipeg. Why are you going to claw, claw that back for me? It seems like a horrible disincentive for me to make a good life decision. My productivity, I suspect, isn't going down or you're not going to keep me around. So why don't you pay me what you've always paid me? I'm saving you money on the desk and the uh, airspace and the floor space that you're going to be required to rent why don't you pass some of that back to me? I, I don't uh, I don't know. I just I guess I understand it to a certain extent from an operator's point of view, but why is it that whenever the little guy, the working guy, the minion has an opportunity to get just a tiny bit ahead, corporations go, ah, not so fast, Mr. or Mrs. We're going to take that away from you real quick. I have a buddy who's been in uh, the same organization for going on seven years, and his compensation plan changes twice a year, sometimes wow. more than that, because he's really good at his job. Okay. And suddenly his employer doesn't like how much money he's making, that he's making too much money. And so they alter his compensation plan. And I just, I find it so sneaky and, and kind of sleazy when organizations do that. You, you hired me based on what you wanted me to do, what I said I would do. There was a an act of faith on both sides. If I'm a salesperson, I'm here to increase your sales. If you're offering a certain commission structure, I'm here to exploit it. I'm here to make money, not just for me, but for you. And if you've done a horrible calculation and there's no money left over for you, well, then I guess we need to sit down and have a conversation. But these arbitrary changes, it happens to people quite often, more often than I think than you could imagine. And this is just seems like just one more example of where the little guy could get ahead and make a decision to change where he or she lives and take advantage of this change in workplace culture, and they're just going to snag that away from you. Just, just doesn't, something feels off about that. Well, and in terms of, of employees getting to a point where they're suddenly making too much money by the, the company's concerns, I mean, we've seen that in this building in years gone by. It's been many it's years now, but we've seen a couple of people 
people get blown out because they were essentially just looking to dump salaries. And that was immensely frustrating. And But we also had that poll a couple of weeks back from Angus Reid where they said only one third of Canadians working remotely expect to resume working from the office as consistently as they did pre-pandemic. One in five say they will remain primarily at home. Uh, That was a study just, again, done recently by Angus Reid. So we've made that the question of the day this morning, brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. Would you take a pay cut to permanently work from home? For sure or no way? Those are your options. Now, for me, the the answer is no way, uh, partly because I just do not want to work from home. And I acknowledge that my situation is different than than yours, for example, or Lorenz. I don't have a partner. I don't have kids. I don't even have a pet. It's just me in my apartment. So from a practical standpoint, doing a radio show from at 6 a.m. would not work in my apartment because I would wake up my neighbors. Yep, the walls are, are not... They're not super thin, but they're not super thick. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely wake up my neighbors if I'm, if I'm sitting there on the couch. Mackling McGarry in the cab! <laughs> ah, it's Monday! So I can't do that. Muted approach. It would literally mute your approach to work. Yeah. Yeah, okay. But there's so a, that's one strike against it. And then because I live by myself, if I suddenly took away all, like, all of the human interaction I get at work, even with the reduced staff we have in the building, usually there are 50 or 60 people, maybe I'll see a dozen people in a day, but still that's human interaction that I would otherwise, I would go insane. But if you made me work from home and then said, uh, we're going to cut your salary, I would say, what did uh, Frankenstein and the, the Monster Squad, he said, bogus, <laughs> bogus. That's what I say to that. One of our listeners, Don, uh, says, you know, you might save some money working from home with regard to parking. And I know even Jackie said when she was working at home for uh, close to close to three months, you know, saved a ton of money on with regard to lunch mm-hmm. in particular, right? Never really going out for lunch and just eating what's in the refrigerator. So yes, there are benefits, but once again, what business is it of your employers if your expenses are going down, certain expenses are going down? You're paying me to do a job, and I understand there's a calculation involved of what it costs you to hire me, but you're going to be saving money as well. So are you going to open your books, and are you going to share with me how much money you're saving on real estate so we sit down and have a genuine conversation and negotiation, or are you just going to impose this on me because uh, from your point of view, I should be paying you less? Mackling and McGarry McNabb is back tomorrow. We want to talk about driving behaviors. I want to know what you're seeing out there as traffic loads increase, as the restrictions continue to loosen, because I think a lot of us develop some bad habits. In fact, that was one of the trivia questions we had for uh, giving away a pizza or a food fair gift card in recent weeks. I think it was 25% of us say that uh, our driving skills have taken a dive. Don't forget to turn your mic on in there, Greg, by the way. Greg's working in the news booth uh, right now. He came in. He forgot he didn't have to come in today. <laughs> He's been working at home for three months. Now, the, the one that I have noticed in particular, and of course, like it's along the south perimeter, uh, there's a stretch that runs from at least Keniston to the turnoff for Highway 33 that, or 330 that goes into LaSalle. That's where I go golfing. So, of course, I've been spending a lot of time in the south perimeter. But the, the speed limit is 80, right? Because there was that fatal crash and there was a call to make it safer. So the speed is now 80. I don't know where it actually begins and where it ends. I think it begins just west of, like, if you're westbound on the perimeter as you go over the overpass that crosses Pembina Highway. Okay. I believe it starts just west of there. Okay. Before Waverly. And do you, I, do you know where it would end? I think it, it ends just on the other side, not far from 330. Okay. Yeah. So it's 80 along there, and people have been driving past me as though I'm standing still. So I don't know if they simply don't know that it's 80 or if they're just brazenly ignoring the speed limit because the signs are very clearly posted, and there are multiple signs in that stretch. It takes like three minutes to get from Keniston to the turnoff at 330, and I'm sure there are at least two, if not three, signs that say 80. Uh, So there's that. So I think a lot of people got used to there being no people on the road. They started speeding. I've seen a lot of people driving really slowly. So I want to know what you guys are seeing, if you've happened to observe any weird driving behaviors. Kelly Moore, uh, how much time have you, how often are you getting out of T-Kona these days? 
Not at all. Uh, is actually we drove uh, down by Polo Park oh, a couple three weeks ago now, and it it seemed strange because I was telling my wife, I said, "Man, this is the way I used to drive to work all the time," and and it seems a little strange, but. Yeah, since uh, started working at home, other than, you know, uh, traveling around uh, Regent and that sort of thing, I really haven't done a lot of driving. The one thing I, I that hasn't changed for me, uh, because it was always the same, uh, Regent is 60. I do 60. And I constantly have people ripping by me as well. So, uh, you know, everybody knows what the speed limit is, and, and yet... Uh, there are many of us who are not paying attention to it, so uh, I guess that's why we have some uh, high collision areas that we do in the city. Yeah, I get that all, all the time with people right on my tail because I'm doing maybe two kilometers over the speed limit. I know that there's this mentality that 60 really means 69 or really mm-hmm. means 70. Jeff, Ron, what about you? Uh, the thing I've noticed the most, and it's not really pandemic-related, but it does happen at this time of year every year, and that's people... Riding my bumper when I'm going the lower speed limit through a construction zone. Where, you know, if it says slow down to 40, I slow down to 40, and people go right on my tail. And last week it was on the highway, Highway 75. I was going 80, where you're supposed to be going 80 for that stretch. And there was a semi, like two inches off my bumper. It was just insane. I couldn't believe what was wrong with that guy. And normally I would have liked to just, you know, let him pass and take down a license number or a, how's my driving number or something like that. But when I got into the clearing, I just, I just hit it and I sped off and got as far away from that guy as I possibly could because he was, uh, most of the truck drivers are really good. This guy was not really good. Don saying, speaking of, of trucks, uh, Don is a trucker who texts us all the time. He says, coming through Minneapolis yesterday, light traffic and some Nissan rocket blows past me at 161 kilometers an hour. So that's not good. And he says, as for general driving practices, some of the people I've seen aren't qualified to drive a nail. (laughs) 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 What about you, Fortier? You're still coming in every day. Yeah, but, you know, the hours that we work, you know, it's not really that much traffic. But I did Well, you get out at 1 p.m., though. So that's busy then. uh, Not really. People are usually at work that time, so it's not really that busy. But I was going to say, I went to the lake this weekend and I took Highway 9, and I actually noticed that everyone was actually driving really good. Uh, We're going 100. Like, nobody was really speeding. Like, I set my cruise at about 103, 104, and no one's passing each other. Everyone was driving nicely. Oh, wow. Which which surprised me on a weekend. Going out to the lakes. Yeah, usually, that's a busy stretch. Yeah, usually people are trying to pass, and, but no, I, I found it to be very They peaceful. were all on Highway 8. They were all on Highway 8 <laughs> flying oh, by Oh, that's me. probably it. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, g uh, Well, one of our listeners saying driving is nuts, aggressive, impatient drivers in too much of a hurry, passing and no passing zones, etc. And uh, besides the people that uh, insist on going 90 or 180, there's that new stretch of 59 where they've rebuilt everything north of that brand new interchange. Nobody seems to know what the speed limit is there. It is 80 from Birds Hill Road all the way into the city. Mm-hmm. People do 90. They do 100. I don't know why the RCMP is not there. They could be pegging people all the time. But the one that drives me nuts the most, besides go, going the 80 around uh, traffic signals on the perimeter, which shouldn't be there in the first place, yep. is uh, when people will not move over. If there's an emergency vehicle in the curb lane, or even if somebody's pulled off and they've got their hazard lights off, slow down. Move a lane away, give them some room to breathe, and then people will pass you on the right. Drives me nuts. Well, what are you seeing out there that drives you nuts? Let us know, 204-780-6868. Eve, by the way, answering my question, he says the 80K zone on the south perimeter starts at Waverly and ends basically just past the train tracks uh, for Highway 330. And then another person saying there are 10 80-kilometer signs driving westbound from Waverly to Highway 330. I drive it every day, but ignored other drivers who do not abide by the signs. 10! So it's 80K. No excuses, folks. No excuses. Mackling and McGarry. McNabb back tomorrow. Mackling's in the news booth right beside me. Good morning, Brett. As we listen to some Tom Petty. Great song. We'll explain why we're playing it in a second. 
Mac Wing, by the way, is here because he forgot. He didn't have to come in. Muscle memory after five days of working here. <laughs> because I was off last week, so Greg was in the studio, and he's been working from home. But it's such a pleasure to have you in the news booth, Greg. It's nice to be able to see you. There's no delay. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're off and running here. McNabb again back tomorrow. Now, Tom Petty for you on Monday morning. Hopefully we won't be getting any cease and desist letters from members of the Petty family for playing this fantastic song because Variety Magazine and other news outlets are reporting that the family of the late Tom Petty has told President Donald Trump and his campaign team to back off from using one of the most popular songs in Petty's prestigious song catalog. Yeah, I'll read this from Variety, Brett. Four of Tom Petty's family members came together Saturday night to quickly release a statement blasting the president for using the rockers won't back down at his Tulsa campaign rally, saying Petty, quote, would never want a song of his used for a campaign of hate. He liked to bring people together, end quote. The statement said that Donald Trump was, quote again, in no way authorized to use this song to further a campaign that leaves too many Americans in common sense behind. Both the late Tom Petty and his family firmly stand against racism and discrimination of any kind. The declaration was signed by Adria and Anakin Petty, his two daughters, as well as Dana Petty, his wife at the time of his death in 2017, and Jane Petty, his former wife. They ended the note by saying they will be filing a cease and desist order against the campaign. Our next guest is one of the premier musical journalists in our country. His website, ajournalofmusicalthings.com, is a fantastic way to spend some time. Alan Cross, also the host of the ongoing History of New Music. Good morning, Alan. Good morning. So what's the difference between CJOB playing a Tom Petty song and Donald Trump's campaign playing it? Well, you have something called a blanket license that allows you to play any song that you want without getting any kind of permission. With Donald Trump, there is a political affiliation to the song, and if you are the creator of that work of art, you may disagree with your music being co-opted into something that you disagree with. And Petty is not the first guy. I mean, let's just go down a list of all the people who have complained to Donald Trump about him playing their music at his rallies, okay? So we have Tom Petty. We have Aerosmith. We have R.E.M. The estate of Prince has complained. Rihanna has complained. Queen has no, has all kinds of problems with him playing We Will Rock You and We Are the Champions at his events. And most recently, just before Tom Petty, was the Village People. They were very upset that he sometimes comes on stage to the tunes of Macho Man. So uh, this is not new. And I'm just looking through a list of all the songs that uh, he likes to play during his rally. Uh, he continues to play Neil Young, which really annoys Neil Young. He continues to play R.E.M. He continues to, he plays the Beatles, Hey Jude, for some reason. Uh, and also, uh, trying to see, hey, what else we got here? Uh, lots of Elton John. He's a big fan of Elton John, including Rocket Man, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, there's a there's a message there for uh, North Korea once upon a time. But it, it's it's interesting that he plays Macho Man. Uh, the symbolism there that seems to be lost on the on the Trump campaign is absolutely fantastic. So I think uh, most people from the outside looking in, Alan, love it when he plays that song because the irony's lost on him. Uh, I saw people suggesting though, as long as the campaign pays a royalty fee. They're absolutely free to use it. This is false information, Alan? Well, no. He is playing in a public space. So at the, uh, the arena, for example, in Tulsa is, is a public space. And as a result, uh, what, they, what these, these facilities have to do is pay for performance rights. So just, you know, given the size of the place, the capacity of the place, you have to pay an annual licensing fee for the privilege of playing music within that fee to the public. So uh, he can play whatever he wants, and people will be compensated. The problem is the association with the music and the campaign. So if you're Lee Greenwood and you're playing God Bless the USA and it's used as a Trump thing, which is often, or a Trump song, which it often is, and, and you're a Trump supporter, as 
okay, that's that's not a problem. Uh, Lee Greenwood is is a big Trump fan, Trump fan. But if you're Michael Stipe in REM and they're playing "Losing My Religion" and everybody hurts, you're about as far away on the political spectrum as you possibly can can be from Trump. And you don't want your music being associated with him. So the only thing that you can do is send a decease and desist order, like we saw with the Tom Petty family, uh, asking, demanding that you stop playing the song. But I honestly don't know if there's any sort of legal uh, method, you know, legal recourse that they have. I mean, Guns N' Roses, another band that uh, has been very upset with Donald Trump, yet he on Saturday night played knocking on heaven's door. Uh, which is a regular hit at Trump rallies. So, uh, you know, it's it's the artists, I think, have to make a public statement saying that they don't agree with the music, with their music being played at Trump rallies, because if they stay silent, people will assume that they are aligned with Trump and they don't want that. Before we let you go, Alan, Tom Petty used the Confederate flag as part of his persona for much of his time as an artist, which led to some people to believe his politics were slanted to the right. Do we know where he stood? As far as I know, he was a fairly left-wing sort of guy. He was certainly left of center and a progressive sort of guy. Uh, but, you know, he came out of, of Jacksonville, Florida, and, and, you know, the Confederate flag was absolutely everywhere. So and, and for, for a very long time with bands like him and Guns N' Roses and Molly Hatchet and a whole bunch of others, it was part of their iconic, um, their, their, their use of iconic, uh, iconography. Is that the word? No, uh, it was used as part of their, their image. So um, I, I think that if Tom were alive today and he saw what was going on with the protests uh, against the Confederate symbols these days, he would say, yep, you're right. I was wrong. Uh, let's move on. Alan Cross joining us live on 680 CJOB. He is one of the premier musical journalists in our country, website ajournalofmusicalthings.com, and the host of The Ongoing History of New Music, which is a wonderful program that can be heard on Power 97. Alan, thank you so much for this. Anytime. Driving behaviors that maybe you've noticed during the pandemic, of course, we're getting a lot of general pet peeve driving conver- text and hey, that's I love that conversation, especially on a Monday. We're cranky. Let's complain <laughs> about driving. But uh, the complaint I had that I particularly noticed while I was on vacation is there is a stretch of the perimeter, the south perimeter from Waverly to just beyond the turnoff for Highway 330 that heads to LaSalle where I go golfing at Kingswood. And uh, the speed limit there is 80. Not 100. It's now down to 80. But people are blown by me like I am standing still, like I'm driving 40. I'm driving 80, between 80 and 85, and people are going past me like they're still doing 110 probably because Mm -hmm. the speed limit is 100, so that means a lot of people will go 110. Well, the speed limit's 80, and one of our listeners pointed out there are 10 signs from Waverly to that turnoff that say the speed limit is 80. So if you are missing all 10 of those, then you should not be driving. You shouldn't be on the road because that you're just a danger to everybody. But we're getting lots of great comments, and one of them, Greg, had to do with semi-trucks that end up side by side. Yeah, and uh, that person did not like the fact that uh, semi-trailers would do that at a red light, and we can debate all we want about red lights on the perimeter and whether or not they should be there. Uh, but this individual sure didn't like that and we have two opinions on that both from truck drivers don says suck it up buttercup i can't count how many times i've been stuck behind two cars with a, a cars with a speed difference of 0.05 miles per hour trying to pass someone in an extreme case that five minute delay could cost us, and he means truck drivers, three days pay. Get to a place at 4.05 on a Friday of a long weekend, and we're sitting until Tuesday, and trust me, it does happen. And then another listener says, I drive a tandem cement truck, and I always grab the right lane because nothing bothers me more than uh, when two truck drivers uh, sit side by side and try to beat each other uh, 
really, people, most of those trucks are governed at 100 kilometers an hour. So all you're doing is holding back traffic. Please stay to the right if you're slow and get out of the left lane. I think that's good advice for any vehicle. If you're not planning to get past me, stay out of that left lane. And Eve, uh, who also drives a lot of heavy machinery, he says, as far as big trucks go, only an empty truck should be in the left lane at a light. I saw another person texted, they hate left lane squatters. I like that term. (laughs) Left lane squatters. I have every right to be out here because I'm doing the speed limit or more. Yeah, and I can't can't remember who sent that, and I'm sorry, but the term was left lane squatters, and the reason why they didn't like the left lane squatters, uh, this was Brad, uh, who said that winds up with people weaving in and out. Um, So that's also a good point too, right? And I often wonder... Like if I'm, say I'm on my way home from the golf course on the south perimeter, I'll get into that left lane because I will be turning left on Keniston, but and I'll and I'm doing the speed limit or mm-hmm. maybe just over it. But if someone is suddenly coming up beside behind me while I'm in that left lane, should I then be getting back over to the right before I jump back into the left lane to make my turn? Well, that's an issue on Chief Pegwas Trail that I travel all the time, multiple times a day because there are left turns allowed at what point do you feel comfortable what point should you be moving over to that left or center median lane in order to travel to the turning lane that you're about to to encounter and the one that you want to use i i don't know what the rule is on that i i don't know that's that's a tough one and another example of how antiquated some of our driving infrastructure is because those left hand turns off of something like the perimeter really shouldn't be a thing should anymore. be a clover leaf yeah exactly yeah i want another person suggesting uh on text what drives me nuts is the morons who think it is okay to drive in the passing lane of a four-lane highway going 10 kilometers under the speed limit. Okay, well, in that case, yeah, then you're slowing. If you're driving 10K under the speed limit, then you are uh, slowing down the pace of traffic, and that's a safety concern at that point. They need a crane helicopter that comes in and just (laughs) pick those people right off the freeway. Not that we have to deal with that in Winnipeg too often, but just pick them up off the road and put them in purgatory somewhere because that is absolutely horrendous. And uh, Brett... Or how about Truckosaurus? Truckosaurus would be great. (laughs) Coming down to pick up the truck. Uh, When you mentioned this, I said to you, you know, I'm sure RCMP tweeted out the fact that uh, they're nailing people in that 80 kilometer per hour stretch on the perimeter. Uh, One of our listeners uh, saying, don't worry, the RCMP are doing a great business collecting, quote, fares on the (laughs) south perimeter. So I think that's a really a good idea. That's that's good to hear. I haven't seen it myself, but it's I'm not going to suggest that because of the the couple of times last week that I did it, that there there hasn't been enforcement Uh, because as, as far as I'm concerned, that they could essentially turn that into a toll booth with the the amount of people who are speeding. I feel like I said it last week, dollar twenty-five bishop. It won't be a dollar, it'll be more like two hundred and fifty dollars, Bishop. <laughs> right? Because they can come they can catch so many speeders. That is a rock solid Adam Sandler reference and imitation, Brett. You, I'm you, coming out of the booth. <laughs> you get seven out of five stars on that one, buddy. I wish I could repeat the rest of that sketch, but uh <laughs> I think we would lose our broadcast license. Uh-huh. You could do it off air. You could do it on social media. Yeah. Maybe on the podcast. And I would be working from home. Well, I, I would be at home. I just wouldn't be. <laughs> I would no longer be working. You'd be speaking to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Mackling and McGarry McNabb is back tomorrow. Mackling is here in the building. He's working out of our news booth in a separate studio. He forgot he didn't have to come in. Last week he was in all week because I was away and he got about halfway to work and said, oh, shoot. Well, I might as well just keep going at that point. I was, I'm thrilled with this. It's a happy mistake. I am thrilled you are here. Uh, great mistake. to see you again. It's happy a, mistake. A happy, happy mistake with some happy, happy little clouds. <laughs> hey, yesterday, of course, marked phase three of the reopening of the Manitoba economy. You may see evidence of new freedoms and operations for many Manitoba businesses as we start the traditional work week. Some grocery stores have eliminated the directional arrows and lineups 
to enter retail establishments are becoming less frequent. Although I did see uh, quite the lineup at Polo Park a couple different times in the last several days. So people are getting out and, you know, there are officially 13 active cases of COVID-19 in Manitoba as we speak. The use of masks in our province remains optional, although there are several places where they are mandatory in order to receive service. Costco. Yes, yes, that's right. And if you're going to the dentist, uh, you have to wear one. And some barber shops, I know they're asking you to wear one as well. Now, according to experts, testing for COVID-19 is a critical part of controlling and tracking the virus. At Saturday night's rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma, U.S. President Donald Trump said this about testing. You know, testing is a double-edged sword. We've tested now 25 million people. It's probably 20 million people more than anybody else. Germany's done a lot. Uh, South Korea's done a lot. They call me, they say, the job you're doing, here's the bad part. When you test, when you do testing to that extent, you're gonna find more people, you're gonna find more cases. So I said to my people, slow the testing down, please. They test and they test. We got tests that people don't know what's going on. We got tests. We got another one over here. The young man's 10 years old. He's got the sniffles. He'll recover in about 15 minutes. That's the case. The White House uh, says that Donald Trump was joking about the whole idea of asking his people to slow down the testing. I don't know why you would joke about that, but uh, we'll take a turn here. Cynthia Carr is an epidemiologist and health policy expert with Epi Research. We say good morning again to Cynthia. Good morning. So is the president correct in any way, shape or form on this, Cynthia? Is testing a double-edged sword? Never. And how devastating to make a joke about, you know, a child being sick. First of all, to be clear, sniffles is not a symptom, um, remember. So he's, you know, the, the ongoing conflicting messaging um, is showing uh, just confusion and and harming everyone. So with more testing um, is the opportunity to identify more cases. And, and it's really interesting. I didn't know you were going to pay, play that clip, but he mentions uh, Germany and Korea, uh, South Korea. And South Korea is, is a success story. And one of the things that, a direct quote, is they responded quickly. They ramped up their testing capacity. They collaborated. They worked together with health technology and other, um, you know, scientists in their field. They fast-tracked approval for testing for increasing lab capacity. That is a success story. So he compares himself to other countries. Germany as well is a success story. He compares himself to those who actually did increase testing and as a result of that had a better opportunity to have a handle on what was going on as as long as they had the associated lab capacity to put those tests through and respond quickly uh, to the people to let them know that they're positive so that they could self-isolate and monitor if, if symptoms came upon or became worse. So with more testing, of course, the more you look, the more likely you are to find, uh, but that is not a negative thing as long as you have all of the other resources in play to react to the information. Should we expect a rise in cases? Well, right now, um, as you said, uh, we have a few active cases in the province, but we know that things can escalate very quickly. So we're doing very well. We know that things are opening. Um, but with that, you know, Dr. Rusin is saying we're increasing the numbers that can be together, but please, as much as you can, maintain the hygiene, the two-meter distance, and again, limit your face-to-face -face contact, your face-to-face -face interaction, because outside the uh, the the medical system, the highest risk situation is face-to-face -face contact, 15 minutes or more, where you're, you know, exchanging respiratory droplets, even though you might not realize it, even through a conversation. But it's even more risky in a situation where people are singing, cheering, yelling, because you're pushing more air out more forcefully. And that's where those super spreader um, situations can happen, where just a very one or two small number of people can actually infect a large number and we need to be careful and again if you have any symptoms at all 
please uh, remember what you've learned and get tested before you go out because we know that at least one person did have some symptoms uh, and was out um, uh, in the community. And not to disparage your attack, but just a reminder, if you're not sure, go to the government of uh, Manitoba website, check you know, the um, symptom test there and, and make good decisions from there. Cynthia Carr, we are out of time, but we thank you so much for the time you've given us, as always. Pleasure. Have a good day. Mackling and McGarry McNabb is back tomorrow in case you are just tuning in. Greg is here in the building. He's been working at home for three months, but he was in last week in studio because I was away. And then he got in his car and drove to work and halfway to work realized, oh, I didn't have to go in today. But he just said, forget it. I'm not turning around. Ah, happy to be here, man. I am happy to have you here, man. I am thrilled to have you here. Just want to quickly mention this. Uh, This just came across our wire as a breaking alert CTV saying that uh, Ben Mulrooney is going to step down as anchor of their show E-Talk to make room for diverse voices after a scandal involving his wife, Jessica Mulrooney. So she was uh, accused of harassing lifestyle influencer uh, Sasha Exeter earlier this month. So just wanted to quickly mention that. And we have a Santa Lucia pizza up for grabs in our next segment. Be ready to call 204-780-6868 for your chance to win. I actually put a picture of one of the pizzas I ordered uh, on our 680 CJOB Instagram as the tease. It was a pizza that I successfully ate without destroying. Good. And it was actually one that arrived because I didn't fall asleep. And did you successfully reheat it and consume oh, yeah. the leftovers yeah. as well? That, that was not the one that I torched. Wow. So, yeah. that's, a, that's, a, that's a very successful weekend. I'm kind of scared to call them again, though. I don't want to, it might be on their blacklist. <laughs> hey, Saturday night was supposed to be and see one of the largest political rallies in recent memory. The Republican Party was touting one million requests for tickets to the first rally since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. Tulsa, Oklahoma's Box Center was set to host 19,000 people. Did I say that right? The Box Center or is it the BOK Center? I think it's either. It stands for the Bank of... Oklahoma, I believe. Okay. Uh, was set to, maybe it's Boke, was set to host 19,000 people inside and thousands more outside. Well, a funny thing happened along the way to the party. Apparently, slacktivism has another gear. There were plenty of empty seats, despite the president's claim of over a million RSVPs. Trump opponents apparently took to social media in an effort to keep seats empty. I recommend all of those of us that want to see this 19,000 seat auditorium barely filled or completely empty, go reserve tickets now. But Trump blamed Black Lives Matter protesters for keeping rally goers away. According to the Tulsa Fire Department, 6,200 people were in attendance on Saturday night. TikTok users and K-pop fans claim to have deliberately sunk the rally, asking Americans to register for the event and not show up in what some are calling the best senior prank ever. Susie Urjavec Parker of Sparker Strategy Group joins us now live on 680CJOB. Susie, good morning to you. Good morning. So did social media punk the president? Well, that's what it appears to be. Yeah, the um, the K-pop fans and the TikTok teams, as they're being called on social media, registered for these seats using, um, some of them did use their actual cell numbers and some used Google numbers or other uh, disposable VoIP uh, temporary text numbers just through RSVP and then ditched the tickets once they got that confirmation. It's sort of brilliant. You know, it's really interesting to me because we have this cohort of young people. And now it's not just young people because K-pop fans will tell you that they span all kinds of ages. And just from my research that I was doing on the weekend on social media, there's no necessarily um, demographic that's all one age. We're looking at a very group of people. But the younger people who wouldn't have had opportunity to express their displeasure or their opinions by voting have really taken this activism by storm. So with a prank like this, uh, you know, is there danger, I guess, for other, like, say, like a positive movement for maybe for some sort of a retaliation? You know, like, let's say there's a, a large Black Lives Matter rally that's being planned. Uh, is there a danger that people could use social media to sort of screw that one up? 
Well, I think that is a distinct possibility as well. And as I said, as I was um, running this down on my social media on the weekend, thank goodness that this generation that is using their powers for good right now, because there is powers in numbers, right? And one of the things that I don't think they understand that what they did is that what they were doing was really kind of messing up a data set that the GOP and the Trump party would be looking for to fundraise. So this data set that they would have gotten from all the people who registered is now faulty and of no use to them. They cannot use that data because none of it's real. And even if it is real, they can't discern from what was there before unless they have a certain time point and a time stamp that they can throw out all that data from. It really messes up their information gathering. For as much as these rallies are to generate publicity and to create energy for the campaign and for Donald Trump, really it is about the database, isn't it, Susie? It really is because that's how they fundraise. So if you're if you're subscribed to any of these services or even just their newsletters, you'll know that you get multiple hits a day in your inbox asking you to fundraise. And they're not looking for necessarily a lot of money, but it's it's volume, right? So the more more smaller donations they get, those all add up. And it's that sort of prodding to get people to buy into the fundraising and buy into the campaign, buy into the promises that keeps them motivated and keeps them funded. Now, TikTok is uh, it's, it's a, a huge social media platform. The numbers of people who have downloaded the app over the last year is pretty staggering. But for those who are not familiar with TikTok, and sometimes it's hard to keep up with all the various social media platforms, could you maybe just give us a snapshot? What is TikTok? So TikTok is really, as I said, where the Generation Z revolution is happening. These kids, first of all, they've had a lot of time on their hands with this pandemic. So they've had some time to get really familiar with the platform, to meet tons of people on this app. And it's basically sort of full of challenges, music, dance. Uh, compilations, all kinds of fun video challenges that these kids can take part in. So one of the things that was interesting to this about for this particular um, rally was that teenagers knew about this, didn't tell their parents what they were doing, not that they necessarily would, but as soon as they would walk into the room on Saturday night, we were hearing teenagers would go, oh yeah, me and my friends bought a bunch of tickets for that just so we could say we were going and didn't. And parents were just like, you did what? And these were parents from state, Canada. I'm seeing messages from the UK as well. And these kids were organized. And not only were they organized, they were quiet. They didn't actually talk and brag about it until it was actually done, which was, of course, the hallmark of a prank. Well, and uh, it's sort of uh, contradictory to the way most people act on social media. It's usually about the boasting and uh, look at me factor. Uh, I use the terminology slacktivism, and I know that young people get a, a, a bad name when it comes to, uh, you know, using a hashtag to create awareness versus actually getting out and doing things. In the last several months, we're seeing the antithesis of that, Susie. Well, we are. So, you know, this might seem like the first kind of real thing that these people have done, but they've been actually quite aligned with the Black Lives Matter movement since the beginning of the George Floyd protest. So a couple of weeks ago, of course, things are moving pretty fast right now. So about two weeks ago, there was a hashtag takeover on Twitter, um, which was the hashtag All Lives Matter. So K-pop fans spammed that hashtag with resources to help fund and to help Black Lives Matter movements all across the states. So they were giving people hashtags and websites that they could go to to donate and support black artists, black owned businesses, all of those things to help the movement and give it some more momentum. So it's really interesting to me in a, in a social media age where it can be used for bad, obviously, but these younger people who don't have the power of voting yet are going to use social media to get their voices amplified anyway. How about this, though? Uh, I'll flip the script a little bit here with the help of one of our listeners. Hypocrisy. Brilliant. Trump gets linked uh, or future election rigging. Someone sabotages Trump. And that's so funny, but only funny if it's against Trump. What do you think about that? Well, like we said, it can go both ways, right? But I think that what's interesting in this particular uh, realm, and I sort of talked about on on my social this weekend, is that a lot of these young people are doing it because of what he represents. They know that he does not deserve a platform, or they feel, and they also feel that everything that he does is against what they have values for. They do not want people to suffer because of their skin color, their sexual orientation, their gender representation. They are done with that, this younger generation. And so they are going to fight back in whatever way they can 
They might not be at the voting booth yet, but this is one of the ways. And this generation, this meme generation, is built on roasting culture. So you can take a look at what that means on social media as well. From roasting to meme culture, these people will laugh at you. If they can't take you down any other way, they will stand there and point and laugh at you because that's the only way that they have power. Susie Urjavec Parker with Sparker Strategy Group joining us live on 680 CJOB. Susie, thank you for the time as always. Thanks so much, guys. Who wants some pizza? Pizza, pizza. I want pizza. I think pick that me, was a, pick me, pick me. I think that was a scene in Community, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I'm pretty sure the character's name was Britta. Forty, you got a big smile on your face. Did you watch that show? You probably didn't. <laughs> no, I'm just smiling. <laughs> <laughs> the smile doesn't give away anything, Brad. You should know that by now. As soon as I said it, and that's like, my Forte poker no face. Idea. I just smile. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a large two-topping pizza from Santa Lucia Pizza. Here is the question: Almost all of us have this in our homes, but only forty percent use it. Aliyah, hello there. Hi. Did I say your name right? Is it Aliyah? Yeah. Very yeah, good. Yeah, you you did you did uh, you did say my name right. Thanks did, for clarifying. Okay. Did I just want to make sure it's not Alia or something like that, uh, because I didn't get a chance to speak to you off the air. Aliyah, do you know the answer? Can you repeat the question? Sorry. Almost all of us have this in our homes, but only forty percent use it. What is it? Um, I'm gonna say. Are you googling right now? You put no, your... I'm not. I'm not googling. I'm just thinking. I just woke up. <laughs> um, she wants the pizza. Gonna, she wants the pizza. I'm going to say potpourri. Potpourri. No, that's a great guess. And I think that, uh, but it's not it. I'm sorry, but thank you. I, I I would say that probably not. Almost all of us have potpourri, but I think more people than I think have potpourri have potpourri. Do you have potpourri in your home, Greg? I sure hope not. <laughs> Rudy, do you know the answer? Uh, I'm guessing a slow cooker. A slow cooker. No, but also a great guess. Very good guess. I think there's a lot of those uh, stashed away in that cupboard up above yeah. your refrigerator. <laughs> you ever had mac and cheese come out of a slow cooker? No. It's good. Mm. Um, uh, Greg's guess is incorrect. Okay. Uh, Sherry, Dang. do you know what it is? Um, dishwasher? No, not a dishwasher. But, right. uh, you know, and that's I, it's an interesting point. I have a dishwasher and almost never use it. Because it takes too long to fill it. You probably it, don't have enough dishes. Yeah, it's just easier it. for me to just wash them as I go. Carol, do you know? Uh, toaster oven? No, not a toaster oven. Uh, but that came up often, Greg, as, as the, the best way to reheat pizza. No a question. A lot of people saying a toaster oven. You ever try it in a toaster oven? I don't have a toaster oven. Okay. Maybe I need to get one. I should ask for one for Father's Day. Almost all of us have this in our homes, but only 40% use it. What is it? Rob. Rob, are you there? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm thinking uh, uh, landline. No, not a landline. Uh, I miss landlines. I, that might make me sound old, but anytime I get a phone call and someone's on a landline, it's like, oh, yeah, that sounds so much better. But maybe that's just because we're radio people and we're, yeah, we focus we're, on stuff like that. We're attuned to that stuff. Yeah. Is it in the kitchen? It is not in the kitchen, so there is hint number one. Hmm. Think more about your hygiene. Maureen, do you know the answer? An iron. Not an iron, but also, yeah, a lot of people probably just go, you know, I know I should iron this shirt, but oh, whatever, <laughs> I'll just give it a couple of, you know, the where yeah. you just flap it out, just whack, whack. Throw it in the dryer with a wet tea towel, that's a good trick. Oh, yeah. Doesn't always work. Darren, almost all of us have this in our homes, but only 40% use it. What is it? Darren, are you there? I guess not. Hi, Leslie. Do you know the answer? Well, I was going to say iron, but now I'm thinking maybe it's a blender. No, no, not blender. It's not in the kitchen. It's in the bathroom. It's in the bathroom. I mean, I guess you could keep it in the kitchen, but that'd be weird. Sue, do you know what it is? I'm, you, you changed rooms on me. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Give us a guess. I'm going to say a hairbrush. Not a hairbrush, but a good guess. Yeah. Yeah, 100% of my kids don't use a hairbrush. Well, especially now in the pandemic, a lot of people are just saying, oh, whatever, man. Chuck, do you know? Uh, I'm going to guess the bathtub. Not the bathtub. That's a really good guess, though. Yeah. That's a great guess, Chuck. Yeah, like I have a bathtub, but I never use it as a tub. Right. Bob? 
hair dryer? Not a hair dryer. We have about 60 seconds. Let's see if we can find a winner. Scott, do you know what it is? Uh, dental floss. Scott, can you repeat that, please? Dental floss. Scott, almost all of us have this in our homes, but only 40% use it. It is dental floss. Great job, Scott. Um, boy, Scott. Do you have dental floss in your home? Yeah. Do you use it? No. Nope. Uh, sometimes, but not too often. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. I know I should do it more. I've got a dentist yeah. appointment coming up on the 30th, and the last time I went to the dentist, it had been like shamefully years and because I had been so long and because I don't floss as much as I should, it was a bloodbath. Like uh, I I need to floss more. So (laughs) I I feel great. Every time I do it, I think I should do this more often. Yep. And then I just don't. They have these neat little utensils you can use now, right, Scott? The little uh, wands that look like a sword. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Get on it, Scott. Congratulations, buddy. Going to put you on hold. Forte is going to get your details off the air. Scott has won a large two-topping pizza from Santa Lucia. Make sure you pay attention to our social media as well. Would love for you to follow us on Instagram, for example, where you can also win a 15-inch two-topping pizza. We're going to be doing that all week long as well here at 680 CJOB. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.